Why buy a mirrorless camera? Well, that's what we'll discuss on episode 43 of the Shutterbook Life podcast. Welcome to the Shutterbug Life Podcast. If photography is not just something you do, but who you are, this is a place for you. In this podcast, we talk about everything you need to be, do, or have to reach your true potential. Let's celebrate the creative photographer's lifestyle with your host, my dad, Linford Morton. Hi, and welcome again to the Shutterbug Life Podcast. This is episode 43, and we're talking about mirrorless cameras yet again. And I say that because we first started the subject in episode 27. We talked about choosing a mirrorless camera. And uh, I'm picking up where we left off there in this episode and going in a little deeper, I guess you can can you can say. We're gonna we're gonna look at a lot of the um, technology, because when I came back from the Photo Plus Expo this year, and in, in the last episode, I talked about some of my five takeaways. The first one was all of the um, technology innovation seems, seems to be happening uh, in the mirrorless sector. So it, there was, this was a good excuse to go back and take a look at mirrorless cameras again. So that's what we'll do today, and we'll get right to it this week, and then I'll come back again next week, and I'll have some exciting announcements for you. All right, so mirrorless cameras yet again. Okay, why would you buy a mirrorless camera anyway? That's sort of the premise we will begin this episode with, but uh, I, I, we have to take a couple steps back because this is actually a part two, if you will. In episode 27, we, we started the conversation with choosing a mirrorless camera. And in that episode, if you haven't listened to it, I, I'd, I'd strongly encourage you to go back and listen to that one as well because... That will sort of really create a foundation for some of the things we will talk about today. I'm, I'm not going to go through and and define a lot of things because we did that in episode 27. So when I, when we talk about mirrorless cameras, if you don't know what that means, I, we discussed you know what a mirrorless camera is, what we mean by that, you know what makes them different from DSLRs and the point and shoot cameras. Uh, we talk about we talked about what kind of photographer would benefit from the mirrorless camera and then we talked about some of the entry level and professional options and then we talked about some of the features that's that i guess best set the mirrorless camera apart from the other options and then and look for this value for your money and 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 so to make it real uh more real i i i said we i was going to use myself as the test case and look for a mirrorless camera that I would want to use. And the parameters I set for myself was that, you know, acknowledging that I'm a DSLR snob, I'm looking for the camera that would be uh, a small one that will that I would use in addition to my DSLR. 
And the primary thing I'm looking for there is something I can put in my in my pocket or my messenger bag and take with me everywhere I go. So I'm always with a camera and 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 I would use it in those times when I probably might not want to lug a DSLR around. So that's that that was the the my use case, if you will, for wanting to get uh, a a uh, mirrorless camera. And then I said, I'm looking for something inexpensive since it's an add-on. I don't want to spend a lot of money on it. And I said, I was looking for something less than a thousand dollars. And after going through all those things, I came up with the Sony a 6,000, which was, uh, you know, pushing a year old at the time we did that podcast, but it still was, it still looked like the best value for the money, at least on paper. And I say on paper because uh, the way we left things, I said, um, what I do next is rent it, use it for a while, and then then I'll have a better idea of whether or not this, this is something I want to invest in. And as you know from some of the earlier podcasts, I always suggest renting a camera or, or lens before you spend money on it because it's nothing like actually using it. Um, to know whether or not this is going to be the right thing for you. I mean, all cameras feel great when you're standing at the counter in the, in the camera store, but when you have them out and you have to use them to produce something that you want to remember or capture something memorable, then that's when you see if it really is for you. Well, I got to do that and, um, I used it over the weekend of photo plus expo. As a matter of fact, um, I, I got it because I thought when we do that Harlem photo tour, that'd be a good time to take it and, and walk around. I, wish, I initially was going to do it for the Worldwide Photo Walk Day, but the one they sent me from Bora Lenses didn't work for some reason. Um, so I had to send it back and I got a credit, which I used then um, and during the weekend of the Worldwide, I mean, sorry, the weekend of the Photo Plus Expo. So... What did I think? I, I came away with mixed feelings, quite honestly, on, on that camera. You know, I love the ease of use. It's it's, it's in terms of wanting something compact, it was a, a slam dunk on that on that aspect because it was it was so small. It fit in it just about any bag I had, and I found myself shooting more than I normally would when I had that, and which is what I wanted. You know, I was. For instance, there was this one photograph I, I, I took when I was walking down to the, the convention center and I saw, because it's photo pluses, I saw a guy, uh, some photographer teaching a, a, a workshop on the side of the street as I was walking along. Now, normally I probably would just probably would have just kept on walking, but because I had this camera, I walked across the street, I put it in the air, I popped out that little um, articulating screen. I think that's what they call it. <laughs> and I uh, held it over the crowd and got a, a shot of the him teaching class that I liked. It was kind of cool. Got him engaging uh, some of his, his students while he was teaching. And I moved on. But I, but I knew I would not have done that if I'd been walking with my DSLR because I wouldn't want to take it out of the bag. And, you know, I just because I just get lazy when I have that thing in my hand. So I think the, the ease of use really made that good for what I what I wanted what the kind of things I wanted to do to shoot more often to take it with me everywhere and I I thought that was just great for that and then I love the fast autofocus we talked about this in the in the in the previous episode these things acquired subjects quickly and accurately 
uh, the, well, the A6000 did. I mean, if I saw something interesting and I took, pick, took the camera up and I depressed the shutter slightly, it locked on right away to whatever my subject was. And sometimes I found with the DSLR, it, it hunted a little bit more than I was comfortable with. So this one was an incredibly fast autofocus, which is great for street photography op- applications. Um, I wasn't happy with the final quality of the photographs, quite honestly. I, I, I know it, it got these reviews for being, you know, great for that kind of stuff. But I know what I'm used to seeing from my DSLR, and I just wasn't getting that from the A6000, and I was disappointed with that. So much so that I stopped shooting as much as I normally would have because I because I just didn't like what it was giving me. So I started out by shooting more than I would have, and then I, when I saw the, the some of the images coming out of it, I stopped. So, for instance, when I was doing the the Harlem photo walk, I saw you know some of the the guys were up ahead of me. And they they stopped to take pictures of these three guys who were walking, and these guys almost looked like a Run DMC with the big hat and and uh, and and the gold chain and everything. It was just so it was so funny. These guys had a really striking look, and they were, everyone was you know the, some of the people in the photo walk were up there taking portraits of them, and I, I you know I was so green with envy because I wanted to take some shots too. But I knew I wasn't going to get the image I wanted out of the camera I had in my hand at the time, which was the A6000. And so I didn't even bother. And so this is that's what I mean. I said, I'm not going to get the kind of portrait I want from this camera, so why even waste my time? And I just uh, looked on an envy. Well, I was saying this to someone else, and I forget who this was. I was in one of the other photo walks, and I mentioned this, and they said, well, is it the camera or the lens that you don't like? Which was a duh moment for me because I hadn't, I, I didn't stop to even consider that part. And maybe it was the lens. And maybe it is the lens. I don't know. I, I rented it with the 16 to 50, I believe, which is their uh, kit lens, 3.5 to 5.6 or something like that. But it's, you know, it's, it's the basic lens. It's the, it's the, you know, like any kit lens, it will, it will do. But, but if you really want to do more like, creating shallow depth of field or really put, you know, popping portraits, you probably want to go with something different. So maybe that was my mistake. I'm not sure. And I'm, I'm really quite honestly, I'm not going to rent it again with another lens to see. Uh, I'm just going to move on. So that's what brings me here. In on on the last episode, episode forty-two, I, I provided my five takeaways from the Photo Plus Expo, and the first one was all the innovation is happening. It seems in the mirrorless sector or with mirrorless cameras, and so I thought, okay, well, this this is a good time then to reengage and and continue looking at, you know, why would you even want to buy these cameras because. If, if I reached a point where I looked and I said, oh, this is not worth my time, why not just go back to my DSLR and be done with it? Why would I want to buy a mirrorless camera? And and it really, as I said, for it really comes down to the the the, the innovation and tech that you are getting with the, the new technology. And uh, they're just doing so much there that I think it's it's worth a look and and again for depending on the profile 
because remember, you remember we talked about the two primary people, the people who are upgrading from your your shooting with your your phones, and you want a little more control and a better image, or people who are coming down from the bulky DSLR. I mean, those are the really the the two primary audiences. If you if you ask me, that um, are moving to mirrorless cameras. So I just want to talk about just a. Uh, you know the the next problem I, I I talked about was okay. How do you then begin to evaluate them? Because when you start to to really get into the mirrorless camera market, what you will find is there are a number of manufacturers, probably more than you would find if you were just shop sh- shopping for a DSLR. And the thing about it is, there's just there's no real standard there, and and by that I mean it's hard to compare apples to apples across manufacturers or brands because they each approach the mirrorless cameras just a little differently and they use different kinds of, of technology. And so it's, if you are, are trying to, for instance, compare Olympus to Sony, you will find that it's going to be tough to do it as an apples to apples as as I would if I were doing an entry level Nikon versus an entry level Canon. Uh, pretty much, they're all you know the same uh, sensor size, the same uh, lens in, with their kits, the same just about everything, all the way up the line. So it's easy for me to put the stack them next to each other and go, um, I like this here, this here, and this is so. Then this is the one I will buy. Kind of tough to do that there. So, so how will how will you do that? Well, uh, let's talk about some of the ways you can begin to differentiate between the mirrorless cameras. And the first one, and of course, this is the same in any camera. You you start to look at sensor size. Sensor size is 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 interesting because it it takes us back to you know, all these cameras, even though we're in digital, they're all based on the film negative, the 35 millimeter film negative. And so when we are looking at digital cameras, we're talking about the sensor, which is the equivalent of, of that film negative. And then the size of that sensor, we usually use the negative as a reference point. So the 35 millimeter um, film negative is 24 by 36 um, millimeters. And so if we created a sensor at that size, we would call it full frame because it's the full size of that negative. And then from there, there's several other sizes that you can buy going, you know, as we get getting smaller. So APS-C is a common one that you get a lot in a lot of entry level DSLR cameras and then you have a APS-H and then you have the micro four thirds and then you have the compact and they get progressively smaller. I'll have a graphic so that you can see exactly what this looks like um, accompanying this episode. So, and, and the thing about it is you will find that different manufacturers are are going with different sizes almost exclusively. And this became apparent at the Sony booth at the show because Sony is now clearly embracing the full frame 
the full frame sensor on their on all of their new models. The A6000, the one I tested, was an APS-C size sensor, and uh, when I when I was when I got to the table, I think it was the only one, and it's close to almost two years old now on on in the Sony lineup, maybe a year and a half. And there was this one and another one, but all the new ones that they were showing off and raving about were all full frame. And so if you're interested in full frame images, then Sony looks like you will have probably more options for you. Now, the thing about this is when Sony created it, the full frame and then the lenses to go with the full frame, at some point it so with some of them, they look so bulky, they looked like they were almost the same size as a DSLR. They looked, you know, some of the models that when they when they put a, a battery grip on them and a telephoto lens and a full frame, those things were, were, were big. And so for me, it seems like you no longer had the, the benefit of going with the, the compact, the more compact option once you did that. So... I, I think it, it depends on who they're going after. So now, you know, we'll talk about this a little further down the road, but they they have further segmented their audience. And so for some people, the big, the big, uh, the big size was probably not going to be so much a, of a deterrent. Um, in sensor size, you'll see like the Fuji line, which uh, Fuji-film uh, cameras, they're all APS-C size, APS-C size. And that, you know, that's a decision they have made and they've been able to do really well using that size sensor and getting the best quality out of it. And then, for instance, if you went to Panasonic or Olympus or Samsung, you'll find that they have other smaller versions and many in sort of the micro four-thirds-ish range. And so when you're thinking sensor size, if that's important to you, you almost sort of begin to sit, push yourself into one manufacturer's camp or the other just based on that decision. So if sensor size is important to you, then you, that almost decides for you whose camera you're going to buy. For me, I, I, I want a larger sensor size because that's where you get the best quality I don't know that I want the full frame necessarily, and, but an APS-C would be the you know the smallest I would I think I'd go for. So keep that in mind. Now, one of the the real technology breakthroughs from this year's show was the, and stabilization. And Sony um, announced that they were the first to create and sell of a full-frame camera with, with, with what is called a five-axis image stabilization. I know, right? What does that mean? Well, if you think that was a mouthful, it's, it's pitch, yaw, XY shift, and roll were the kinds of stabilization built into this camera. Pitch, yaw, XY shift, and roll. Now, I have a really cool video that I'm going to be including on on the show notes for this episode, which will show you how, what this looks like and, and how each of these five um, movements are corrected. And it, it, if you're interested in that, I think it's really worth looking at. But the, it, just generally speaking, the fifth correction axis is the roll, which is when you're taking a photograph uh, in, in your typical uh, 
stabilization cameras, it will correct against the bouncing up and down that happens when you depress the shutter and you move the camera so that it goes down or up just a little bit, or maybe it goes side to side if you're panning or something like that. Those two move, those two movements are what most, uh, most of your stabilization in your cameras and lenses will correct for. So the fifth axis, the roll, is a sort of a circular movement that might happen. And you might see this, They, you know, you see this most in video. If you're shooting video and you know that you're, this now is not, it's not just a depressing the shutter. Now it's the cameras is continuing to roll over time and, and you're trying to hold the camera steady and you, and that's when you might unintentionally move the camera in what looks like a circular motion. And they, they they have found that this circular motion also can be picked up, although it's primarily in video, you can get that also in in your in your your still photographs. And so uh, this uh, this now this technology corrects for both up and down, back and forth, as well as the roll uh going in a circular motion. Now Sony says they're the first one a camera manufacturer to bring this to a full frame because Olympus also has a five axis image, image stabilization system in their cameras with the micro four thirds sized sensor. And, and, and this technology is cool, not just because it adds another type of movement, but it allows you to shoot at a very slow shutter speed, still handheld, you know, Doug K from all about the gear joked that he could shoot almost at one, one second, I think that's a bit much, but the when I was at the Sony booth, they were showing me photographs taken at one tenth of a second uh, with with at a telephoto range, which were still pretty sharp. The eyes are still pretty sharp, and in that's that's kind of incredible because that gives you so many more options if you have to shoot in low light. In a low light scenario, let's say you're shooting performers or something like that in a dark area and they're moving quickly, you would still have the ability to at least not shoot. Well, moving quickly might not be the good example there, but in low light, you would still have the ability to take a photograph and not get camera shake if you could not use a tripod. Or, for instance, if you're in a cathedral or a museum or somewhere like like that, where there's no flash photography allowed, and 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 using a tripod is is frowned upon. So, so this is you know really one of the breakout technology uh, technology advances that we saw at at this show this five axis stabilization and you see it both in Sony and Olympus. So if that's important to you, then now you're being steered to it. Those two brands. Now I remember I said there, there, one of the things that I, I found that becomes a very important consideration when I'm looking at, uh, at my mirrorless options is whether or not I, I want a viewfinder. And I think, I think this is sort of an easy one to, to, to 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 consider based on who you are. Remember, I said you're primarily um, going moving up from shooting on the camera or a um, from your phone or from a compact, or you're moving down from a DSLR. And so, if you're moving up from a phone or or, or a compact camera, not having a viewfinder is probably not a, a big deal for you because you're used to shooting 
from a screen like that. You're used to looking onto the side of the phone anyway and composing and taking shots that like that. So that wouldn't bother you as much. But if you're coming down from a DSLR, I find that most of us who are used to putting our eye against the viewfinder and looking through the viewfinder and composing there, not having that, it, 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 it takes a little getting used to. And so this is a, a consideration you want to you want to keep in mind because there are, you know, a swath of the of a lot of the mirrorless cameras which will not have a viewfinder at all. And then when of those who do, you will have a choice between having the electronic, which is what you see is what you really get because it will show you um, things like if you decide to go black and white or if you decide to if you overexpose or underexpose, you'll see all that in your viewfinder as opposed to the optical viewfinder, which will just show you the, the image without any of the enhancements. Now, you also have some models which will do hybrid options of you know, a little bit of both, and uh, I'll talk about that in a little later. But these are three options that you want to think about if you, and I think most of the, the larger, um, the larger, more advanced mirrorless cameras will all have uh, viewfinders on them. So if that's important to you, you'll want to make sure you pay attention to that too. Remember I talked about the autofocus being real so far advanced or, and it's, it's really cool because with, with the autofocus, I, I told you on the A6000, I know that when I had it used it side by side, it was so much faster in acquiring and tracking images um, as I was shooting, that it was, it was, I was really impressed with that. And many of them, I, as I said in the last episode, episode 27, they use multiple phase detection points. And, and remember we said the phase detection, of course, works by comparing the views of the subject from two slightly different positions. And then the degree that these views are out of phase tells the autofocus system how to refocus and in which this direction, which is different than just looking for side-by-side adjacent pixels. And so remember, we talked about that makes it even more accurate because when somebody else is walking by, the camera is not going to be fooled by them if the camera is already locked onto your subject. So the, the Sony A7R II sensor brings this innovation and it, it uses 399 phase detection autofocus points. And, and it covers practically the whole frame. And so this is why these cameras can be so accurate and so quick in acquiring the subject because they have so many more points working to find and locate and capture the subjects. And I, I think we talked about in the last episode how, you know, some of them have hundreds versus maybe 20 or 30 in some of the, your DSLRs. And so, like, for instance, in, in the D600, I know you will have your autofocus points. Although there are 59 of them, they're all clumped in the center of the image. So you don't really get outside of the center of the image the same degree of accuracy which is why you will find in these mirrorless cameras, you know, why buy them? Well, the autofocus is certainly one reason why you might want to do that because it's going to give you so much better performance if you're looking at things like sports or or street photography. The other reason you might consider it is now most of them are, in, in, in terms of video, going up to 4k and you'll hear a lot about this new about 4k and it's just 
it's the resolution format that's just out of this world because it was named because it has 4,000 pixels in horizontal resolution. That means just going left to right across one line, you can get 4,000 pixels. The standard way of measuring this would, was, was diagonally. Um, I mean, so I'm sorry, the vertical. So 1080 and 720p were named because of, of the vertical resolution. Now the standard, this new standard gives you four times higher image definition than your 1080p, which is what, what we typically knew of or thought of as high resolution up until the 4K hit the scene. And you can get some 4K monitors, but what a lot of people I think would like about the 4K is now you can pull out freeze frames out of 4K and the real resolution is so great that you can use those just as images. So I heard Frederick Van Johnson talk about doing a photo shoot with some of his relatives where he just let the 4K video run while he spoke with them. And then he went back later and picked out the frames he wanted to use as, as images and then used that as his, as his portraits. So you get a lot of resolution from this 4K and a lot, and, and some of the newer models now are, are featuring the 4K format, Sony especially, if you want. Now, if video is not important to you, then, then, then you probably will go with something else like the Fujis, which are not known for Fujifilm cameras, which are not known for their video um, technology. Wi-Fi is becoming almost, that's the next uh, thing I, I'd say you want to pay attention to. Um, and, and for, for well, I guess the main reason is, as a walk around camera, it's important for me to be able to post quickly to social media or, or upload or at least look at it on my iPad as I'm moving around. And with built in Wi-Fi that you can connect to your mobile device, it's much easier to do that. Now, I remember two years ago, Samsung was boasting that they had 4G built into their cameras. And so you could post straight from the camera to your Facebook. And so you'd have a Facebook app on your camera and then you could just post straight there. Well, this year they didn't have any of those anymore. And when I asked why, it, as I thought back then, nobody wants to pay another note for 4G when they have a phone in their pocket. They can just, uh, you know, port it over via Wi-Fi. And um, yeah, because I, I, that's what I thought when I looked at it too. It's like, oh my goodness, that's another another bill. And so it's not worth it. So now they just have really good Wi-Fi that you can use to transfer by app and upload your images. So I think pretty much everyone uses Wi-Fi, but I, I just thought that was important because now the 4G is gone. So uh, you really are stuck with the Wi-Fi. Well, the last piece of technology I want to talk about is the megapixels, because this is where you hear a lot of the the uh, the fanfare, I guess, with the 42 megapixels and the you know soon to come 120 megapixel cameras. And of course, you know, at one point we thought the megapixel wars were over, and they seem to be at it again. And so. I'm thinking, you know, why do you care? And I thought the guy, the the person, I, the guy I talked with at the Sony desk had the best description. He says we have a 12 megapixel option in terms of his digital um, 
mirrorless cameras. He said there's a 24 megapixel option, and then there's the 36 plus, which you know, 36 is where it was, and I think it went up to 42 now. And he said the 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 12 megapixel option is good for anyone who wants to primarily shoot video. So it's optimized for capturing video. The 24 megapixel option, he says, is good for anyone who wants to shoot every day, sort of like a walk around, sort of like the thing, what I was doing, walking around and using it for everyday street photography, travel. If you are traveling and you want something compact to go with you, the 24 megapixel option is what you'd use for that. And then he said the the big ones, the 36 and 42 and a more and 50, those are good for anyone who wants to choose who is primarily shooting studio photography. So this is, you're doing commercial work. And that's who that's aimed at. People who are doing commercial work and really need all the pixels because they're selling them. And so with that in mind, it's it's sort of a, a good way to look at it. And Sony's the only one who has that big, you know, full frame 50 megapixel right now anyway. And I think most of the ops, most of the others have at least somewhere between 18 to 24, which is again, it's good enough for most of what we will be doing in, in terms of traveling and or and or street or in everyday kinds of photography. So, you know, based on all that, I got to do some side by side comparisons. I went to each of the booths and I said, you know, this is who I am. I am a person who likes my DSLR, but wants something that will I can take with me because I find I shoot more when I have a smaller camera and I'm inclined to take it more with a smaller camera. What do you have? And then based on that, they each gave me their options and I went through all of them. And based on all, all of them, I came up with five, I think, which were the, which looked like the five best in terms of features and value for the money. And, uh, and the five will cover a wide range of price points. Because one of the things I've realized is that looking for the sub 1000, um, range probably was not a, a realistic expectation if I wanted it to perform at the same level as a, a full frame DSLR. And so I think I have to bump that up from 1000 to maybe the $2,000 range. And so I have options here now between from less than a thousand all the way up, all the way up to 2000. And I think you probably will need to do that if you really want the kind of performance from your mirrorless camera that you will, you're, you're used to if you are a DSLR shooter with, with good lenses. So my, my five faves were the Fujifilm X-T1. And I just thought that was just, uh, I, I love that camera. Uh, they, they took this photograph of my face and, and, and zoomed all the way into my eye and filled my friend and that my eye was pin sharper. We know how we love that. Um, but this one is twelve ninety nine for just the body only, and then with a thirty five fixed lens because I probably would want to stick a fixed on there. One point four is another six hundred bucks, so that gets me close to two thousand dollars now. So now you're spending good money, but this is a phenomenal camera. They compare the sensor on this one to the the Canon five D Mark three, which is really good company and respectable. And if you just, you know, some of these cameras, I went to Flickr and I put in the name of the camera to see images that people might have posted with that camera body model and really was blown away with the images from the, from the X-T1. 
The other one I liked from Fuji Film was the X100T, which is, which is a really small, compact, good-looking camera. It comes with a fixed uh, 23 or 35 millimeter equivalent on it. I, I don't know that I'm crazy about having the fixed lens on there, but it, it is the lens that I would want to walk around with anyway. Um, something, something short like that. But, um, you know, the X-T1 has all external dials, which looks, which make it really easy to change aperture and shutter speed and exposure compensation without having to go into any software because they're all external dials. And that looks like a, that looks like a cool shooting experience to me. Uh, reminds me of the good old days. The Sony a7 II, which is the, remember I told you there's, there's a 24 megapixel option for you to walk around with. Well, that's the Sony a7 II, and it also has that five, that five axis stabilization built in. All the two models of Sony do. Um, and then this is 6988, sorry, body only. And then with their 20 to 70 lens, it's up to 19. 1998, so just about $2,000, but this is, you know, Sony's best full frame, um, camera. And it, in terms of the best quality, uh, it's hard to go wrong there. Uh, remember I said Olympus had also had a one of the five axis stabilization. Well, that's on their OMD E M10 too. And that one with the 14 to 42 millimeter is going to be 799. And then Panasonic's GH4. It's fourteen ninety seven ninety nine with a twenty millimeter f one seven. That's another three hundred bucks. So, as you can see, they're all all of the real solid options in terms of not just being compact but also great quality are somewhere near. I think the fifteen hundred, a thousand to two thousand dollars in that range is what you should expect to spend. But why would you buy this? Because you've got great, um, you've got great technology at work for you. Many of them will shoot amazingly well in low light situations. Um, you have those two with the, with the stabilization that lets you shoot and be handheld at very slow shutter speeds. You have, um, the 4K video and then you have this autofocus that will, will make it very easy for you to capture subjects on the move around you. And then you can get a really decent sensor size, which means you get good quality. So you've got a lot of good reasons there, as well as using these, this technology as a way to begin to compare. And, and, and you find that as you begin to sift through these technologies, it will lead you very clearly to one manufacturer or another based on what's right for you. Now, I, I have some side-by-side -side comparisons of these that that I did for each model that I will include as, as also downloads on on the site and the show notes for this episode and as well as the five cam the five models that I just talked about being my five faves you'll be able to see and click on those and see um what they do and um and see what you think of them now what's next for me the whole rent and repeat I'm going to probably rent the XT1 and take it out for a real test drive to see how well I like it and then I'll come back and report to you. And oh by the way, also on the show notes, I did I'm going to include some side-by-side -side images that I did that I took from the A6000N from the Nikon uh DSLR. So you can see when I said I don't I wasn't I didn't get the same thing. You can see 
uh, you can look at both images, both at full size and see if you, if you think that the quality is as bad as I think it is, or maybe I'm just imagining things. So you can take a look at that too. I'll have, um, I'll have about three or four images side by side so you can see what they look like. All right. So that's it on your mirrorless cameras. Again, I heard from a number of you on the last episode that you really enjoyed it. So I don't know how many of you are actually thinking of going mirrorless or on mirrorless already, but let me know. I'm interested to know what your experiences have been and what your decision points were when you selected your mirrorless camera. Well, that's it for episode 43 on why would you buy a mirrorless camera and the choosing the mirrorless camera part two episode. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that was helpful for you. And if you like what you heard, I'm going to invite you to stick around and uh, go to our, our website at shutterbugglelife.com forward slash subscribe and then add your email and your email address and your name, and I'll be able to let you know whenever another episode gets posted. You can also follow us on iTunes by subscribing there. Just go to itunes.shutterbuglelife.com. And then if you are in the Washington, D.C. area, you can join our meetup group at Shutterbug Excursions and come hang out with us. We've been very active lately. And then you can also join our Facebook group for Shutterbug Excursions. Just go to fb.shutterbuglife.com. And this is where we're all sharing in between our episodes here and between our meetups. And so it's a good place to get um, to, to get with other friends who are kindred spirits in the photography scene, if you will, and continue loving your Shutterbug life. Thank you so much. I hope you have a great week and whatever you do, enjoy your shutterbug life. Take care. <laughs>